Good evening, everyone. Um, man, it's good to be here again. We got a packed weekend. This is one of four talks this weekend. Two tomorrow, one during church, one tomorrow evening, and then one Sunday evening. So we are in for a bit of a marathon, and I pray that tonight, tonight's in, in a sense, well, I guess we're kind of still setting up building into next week, where next week from Wednesday on, we're going to be going hard into prophecy next week. So we're kind of setting the stage right now. Everything that we're doing is setting the stage. And then our last five talks or four talks are going to be um, very much so more in depth into prophecy. But tonight is very important because this has everything to do with prophecy. And we're talking about the judgment hour. And we're going to be looking at several passages of scripture as we do this. In your packet, some of the verses tonight, I didn't switch out every verse, but um, some of the verses tonight are in the New King James. In your packet, there's no fill in the blanks tonight. Some of your verses are in the King James. So we've got a bit of both tonight. Um, But let's pray as we get started. Father God, I just want to thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to gather here. Lord, your Sabbath is drawing nigh, and we want to take a moment to enter into your presence. And we want to ask that you would speak to us now. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 and 7. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 and 7. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. This is a mission that has been given to God's church at the end of time. And it's a far-reaching mission. The mission does not just stop with your neighbor next door. This mission does not just stop with Paul's Valley, Maysville, Elmore City, Lexington, Slaughterville, Norman, Ratliff City, Paoli. This is a mission that extends far beyond that. And as a mission that sets us apart is to set God's people apart at the end of time as a different and distinct from all the chaos of the world. When we look at events and how they're transpiring today and the political and racial tensions. Many of these things purposely being thrust before the people. In fact, you know, some people are starting to realize if we would just talk less about race, that it would be less of a problem. But the gospel says it has to go to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people meaning that God's desire and will is for His church to be filled with all kinds of people from every nation, tribe, tongue. Meaning that within the Christian church, within God's true church, 
there can't be racism. There can't be tensions like there is in the world. The announcement of the first angel's message is telling us that there is another gospel message. This is the true gospel message. There's a counterfeit message out there. There's several counterfeit gospels. And this message that God is calling us to bear as Christians must be proclaimed with a loud voice. It cannot be done timidly. It cannot be done fearfully, but it must be done with courage. Verse 7, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Let it be clear, let it be known tonight that the hour of God's judgment is upon us. The judgment is not something to be taken lightly. The judgment is real. The judgment is going on as we speak. Christ is our mediator. Christ stands as our great high priest right now. And he says to all of us, you are invited to come before the throne and receive grace and mercy and help in your time of need. You know, it's interesting. Many people are afraid of God's judgment. And to be honest, rightfully so. Because God's judgment is no joke. If we follow the ways of this world, we will be judged. And it will not be a pleasant thing at the end of time. And this is why God gives us examples in the Bible, stories like Sodom and Gomorrah, stories like Noah and the flood, as a reminder that God's judgment is no joke, that God will reach a point where the cup of our iniquity will be filled up and his wrath will be poured out, as the book of Revelation says. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 6 as we continue tonight. Genesis chapter 6 is where I'd like to begin because it gives us the first insight to God's judgment. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man. In other translations, if you're reading from the King James, I believe the King James says that God actually repented of the fact that he had actually created man. It sounds kind of similar to the moment where Moses is in the mountain with God and, and, and Israel is bowing down to the golden calf and God's like, you know what? Let me just start over. Let's just start with you, Moses. But Moses truly echoed the heart of God when he said, hold on. For your namesake, you can't do this. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grace. What is grace? 
we were to try and define it tonight, what is grace? It's unmerited love, unmerited forgiveness. I think we could all look back in our life and think of moments like that. You know, I remember one morning I was getting up early, working the summer, trying to pay my way through college, taking the back road to work, and, you know, you're singing along to music, trying to, you know, wake yourself up as you're on the road at 7 a.m. And this particular back road not at 7 a.m., but more at like 7 p.m. and later at night is known for some very bad accidents. So there will be cops sitting out there. And the cops out on the West Coast are not as lenient as they are out here. Like five over is all you should do in the state of Washington, at least my experience. Out here, it seems like you can usually on the freeway get away with 10 over. I don't know. That's what I've seen. I've gone by cops 10 over multiple times and they don't pull out. So, that's just a pastoral confession tonight. But that particular morning, I was, came around the corner, it was kind of foggy and it's low in the valley next to the river and the cop's just sitting there and all of a sudden his lights popped on and I was like, oh, I was doing 10 over. Caught dead to rights. And I'm young. Like, cops don't have mercy on young kids. You're doing 10 over. It's like easy to say, you know what, I'm going to slap a ticket on you. First time I'd gotten pulled over. I was like, oh no, I do not want to have to explain this to mom and dad because they're going to be so mad when their insurance spikes. The cop comes up, you roll down the window hand him your ID. I guess he looks in and he sees that I'm all dirty and he's like, he assumes that I've been working hard, which I was, had been working hard. I just hadn't started work for the day. And he decides to give me a warning. To let me slide. Didn't even write up an official warning. Just, you know, slow down. And God's judgment is in some sense, the same, right? Because God has given us warning. God has given us in his word enough evidence to believe. God is all sufficient to actually change our lives. God has shown us the signs of the times, and we're going to look at some of those tonight as a refresher. so that we would not be deceived, so we would not be caught off guard, so that hopefully we would not be slumbering at the end of time. But eventually, as we look at the course of history and situations where God's judgment is poured out in the Bible, God's judgment cannot be stayed forever. There will come a point where prophecy will be 100% fulfilled, and Jesus will return. Yes, many scoff and wonder and say, you know what? Seems like nothing has changed. All things continue as they are. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 3, there will come scoffers in the last days saying, where is the promise of his coming, right? Where is Jesus? I mean, this is just a fairy tale. Whew. Verse 4 says that they are willingly ignorant. 
Now, the reason I give you paper is because sometimes you might want to write down notes. Because not every verse that I'm going to quote tonight is necessarily in my notes. By the time we reach Noah's generation, we have to come back to verse 5, Genesis chapter 6, where the Lord gives us a very interesting description. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. We can't fully imagine what that's like, but I believe we're beginning to see that happen. I believe we are witnessing the thoughts of this world become more and more evil daily. We are witnessing people begin to say, you know what, I think pedophilia should be legal. Do you know that this is an argument being had? It's just another orientation. Now, sexual depravity and sin is what destroyed Sodom. Let no one deceive you on that. Just go to Jude, verse 7. It's set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire is what God says, because of their sexual fornication. And sexual fornication is one of those signs that marks the end of a nation. You study the fall of Rome. You study the fall of Greece. You study the fall of Babylon. The night that Babylon falls, they're having a very disgusting party. History knows this. Other sources record the fact that it was very sexually indecent that night. I'm just using, hopefully, some PG words. But we're not witnessing just a nation right now. We're witnessing an entire world that is wandering after the desires of their heart. And we're seeing the thoughts of humanity grow more and more evil. And this is an important detail. Because if God does not pour out judgment through the flood, to just give you a picture of where we are in the timeline of human history, we're about 2,000 years since the fall. If God does not pour out judgment upon humanity, then we may never have seen our Savior. Because the thoughts of man were becoming evil continually. And if God didn't intervene, we still had another 2,000 years before Jesus was to show up on scene. Flood 2,000 years, Christ dies 2,000 years, and now we're 2,000 years removed from Christ's death. So God sends a flood. But in his mercy, he gives people a way of salvation. This is consistent, right? God warns us that humanity deserves judgment. Because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of us can stand here and say, you know what, I'm just an awesome person. The Bible confronts us. The Bible doesn't say, 
you're an amazing person. <laughs> it says you're a wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked person that needs a Savior, that needs Christ's righteousness, that needs his forgiveness. And we're not talking about a forgiveness that says, you know what, it's okay for you to keep on sinning. I love you just the way you are. It's foolishness. When we study the story of the flood and the story of the Sodom and Gomorrah, God wiped these people out because their sins were an abomination to him and their sins could not exist in his presence. You think about Moses when he comes off from the mountain and he has this moment of righteous indignation where he throws the tablets down And then God's wrath is poured out in judgment upon the children of Israel. Only the tribe of Levi is spared because they were the only ones that did not bow down. Moses comes, has to go back up, 40 days, comes back down. This time, when he comes back down, he's so radiating because now he's seen the very glory of God as much as a human can and live that people cannot stand to be in Moses' presence. And this will be the same. Nothing impure, nothing defiled will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And this is why God has a judgment hour. Because God is weighing the hearts of man. God says, I, the Lord, search the heart. This is why the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged, right? Because I can't judge Brother Don's heart. The only thing the Bible says that you and I can discern is their fruits. By their fruits, you shall know them. You can't judge my heart. I can't judge Travis's heart. I can't judge Misty's heart. But by their fruits, you shall know them. If you're a Christian, but you want to live like the world, you want to hold on to sin, then you're not what you say you are. And that's part of what the judgment is. If you study the ceiling that has to take place at the end of time. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 and 30, where it talks about how the Holy Spirit is what seals us under the day of redemption. Revelation chapter 7, verse 1 through 3. God says, hurt not the people of God, right? Until I have sealed the servants of God in their forehead. Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. What do we see happening there? Let's just look in our Bibles. We're going to see a group of people that are sealed, that are saved, that are redeemed. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 1, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with them 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. The seal of God, in comparison or contrast to the mark of the beast, which is in the chapter just before, can only be received in the forehead, because God will not force us, and there is no default with serving God. God wants to transform our mind. Now, it's interesting when you look up the definition for the word seal in the Strong's Concordance, it says to prove one's testimony to be, uh, to prove one's testimony that they are what they profess to be. Did you catch that? To prove one's testimony that they are what they profess to be. That's what it means to be sealed. Well, I, I can claim to be a Christian, but if I lack the Holy Spirit, <laughs> I ain't a Christian at the end of time. Because the Holy Spirit is what sets God's people apart 
at the end of time. And that is the greatest gift that we all need. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more tomorrow because the Holy Spirit, being the greatest gift that we need, actually proves something very important about God's law. Little hint. It proves that God's law is unchanged. We'll see that more fully tomorrow. You know, there was once a preacher, and I, I may have told this story here before. There was a preacher who was an incredible orator. Just, you know, he would have been like a Doug Bachelor. And he could just preach with power and hold audiences captive. And he was so good that back in the 1800s, the spiritualists wanted him to become a part of their team. Now, the spiritualists are people that get into dark things such as palm reading and astrology and these communication with the dead, things like this. Okay, So the spiritualists started coming to this man's house and saying, you know what, we'll give you like $3,000 to leave the church of God and come debate for us. And he says, no money will ever get me to to leave the Lord's cause. Well, they were persistent. Now, $3,000 back then was a lot of money. Well, they come back. They're like, okay, $5,000. $6,000. And eventually he caves. And he gets up to preach one last sermon. This is his final sermon. He basically says something to the effect in his appeal. And I at least applaud him for doing this. He appeals to the congregation not to look to any man. Because man can fail you. And he walks out and joins the spiritualist movement. So we don't know the motives of people's heart, but God does. God says that your heart, my heart, it's deceitful. This is why I'm challenging you in this journey that we're taking. You've got to re-examine the word of God for yourself. One of the reasons we're starting a Bible reading marking program, I think, after... Um, this series is over. Travis is going to be helping leading out in that. It's because we've got to have the Word of God hidden away for ourselves. And the reality is, if I take my eyes off Jesus, I could preach the Word of God with power. I could preach the truth. But if my eyes are not single to the glory of God, I may not be in the kingdom someday. And this is important because the judgment hour, my friends, is very serious. In many ways, it's something that we don't actually have to be afraid of, but it's not something that we should take lightly. There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who have said, you know what, Jesus, you are my Savior. I choose to surrender. I know I'm weak. 
but your power is strong enough. No condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And Jesus told us that we should look upon these moments. Matthew chapter 24, if you join me there. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 through 39. But of the day and the hour, no one knows. I can't tell you tonight, and don't ever listen to a preacher who does, who says Jesus is coming back March 2025 on the fourth day of March at 7 a.m. Don't listen to somebody like that. The Bible is very clear. Jesus says, But the day or the hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Meaning that at the end of time, we should expect that the thoughts of men will actually be evil continually again. And God is also very serious. Just as he judged the antediluvian world, he will also judge our generation at the end of time. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until that day Noah entered the ark. I did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Just carrying on. Life is normal. None of those things are really truly bad things. Marriage, God gave us marriage. God gave us food to eat. Water to drink. Grapes to turn into grape juice, not to ferment. But if we were to go earlier in the chapter, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 6 through 4, I want you to open your Bibles. I know that I only put the reference here because I do want you to open your Bibles. And I'll give you some time to get there. Matthew chapter 24, verse 6. And actually, I'm going to kind of summarize from verse 3 to verse 6. I referenced this the other night, but we're coming back. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. The disciples are like, tell us when these things shall be, and what shall be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. This is a very important detail. Take heed that no man deceive you. The first thing that Jesus says, before he goes on to describe all the other signs, all the false prophets, before he even says that the coming of the Son of Man is going to be like the days of Noah, he says, Take heed, beware, Be alert that no man deceive you. How is that possible? How are you going to be undeceived at the end of time? The only way is if you are holding on to the word of God and hiding it in your heart. Otherwise, you're going to be deceived. I mean, (laughs) it, it saddens me, just to take an example of the prosperity gospel preachers. These guys, like, they full-on make up scripture from the pulpit. And it sounds like the Bible, unless you know your Bible. 
Now that's the most heinous and obvious of deceptions that exists. But I mean, how does the devil try to deceive Jesus? Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil's like, huh. yeah, but by every word. Like, we've got to live by every word of God. And the devil's like, okay, I see you, Jesus. I'm going to respond with the word of God. Next temptation, second temptation. The devil himself quotes scripture, but he twists it. If the devil tried to twist scripture to deceive Jesus, would he not do the same thing today to deceive us? This is why Jesus, the very first thing, in answer to their question, he says, take heed that no man deceive you. This is why you have to be a student of the word. Study to show thyself approved. My knowledge and understanding of the word of God cannot save you. I pray that you see precious words of truth coming alive as we go through this series. Perhaps this is a reminder. Perhaps this is a refresher. Perhaps this is what is going to inspire you to go back and recommit to being faithful to searching the Word of God. It's like that little girl comes up to her mom one morning and she sees her reading her Bible and she asks her, Mother, like, when are you going to finish that book? And the mother responds and says, I pray I never will. And that should be all our prayers. The Bible is exhaustless. You can come back to a passage of Scripture and God can speak to you and open it up to you in a way that you've never seen it before because that's how powerful God's Word is. Verse 5, for many shall come in my name and say, I am Christ, and shall deceive many, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that these things be not, uh, see that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For, the, for nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Now, just to remind you, just in the last two months, right? Maui fires, Hurricane Idelia, Morocco earthquake, Libya floods, claimed, they're saying 20,000 people. Morocco, the death toll, I haven't looked at it recently, but I think it climbed above 3,000. And that was just a few days after. Maui fired, claimed at least a thousand lives. Hurricane Idelia didn't claim as many. It was, you know, like one or two. But it's still the loss of life. I don't care if it's one, two, or 20,000, 100,000. Death wasn't in God's plan. So none of us can deny when we recognize that just... In less than two months, all of these things have happened. None of us can die that we're not witnessing the fulfillment of what Jesus said would precede his coming. He uses the word birth pangs in the original Greek there to describe the fact that this is just the beginning of sorrows. Meaning that these events, for those of you who have gone through child labor, are going to intensify and become closer and closer together as we near the end of time. 
And we're seeing that happen. But the worst is yet to come. If you read in verse 9, then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, that means sin, the love of many will wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then the end shall come. The gospel that is preached is preached as a witness. It's something that's lived in the life, not just coming out of the mouth. It's a witness. It's a testimony. It's a demonstration. Amidst the darkest hour of earth's history, when families turn against each other and the love of many wax cold. Now I need you to understand there, I shared this, I think, a couple Sabbaths ago, that the word love that is being used there There's three words for love in the Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. Eros, which is the romantic love. Phileo, brotherly love. And the third is agape, unconditional love, God's love. Now, if you remember, Jesus asked Peter after his resurrection, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, of course I love you like a brother. He uses the word phileo. Second time, Jesus asked him, and Peter's like, well, of course I love you like a brother. The third time, Peter finally gets it. And Peter's like, of course I love you unconditionally. Well, coming back to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12, when it says the love of many shall wax cold, it's talking about agape love, not romantic love, not brotherly love. But the most important true definition of love, agape love. Unconditional love that leads others to be self-sacrificial is going to be wiped out from this earth. And when it is, God's people are to stand as a demonstration of God's unconditional love. In the midst of earth's final minutes of the final judgment hour, God's people are to stand and to shine brightly. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3 says that those that be wise, that turn many to righteousness, will shine as the stars forever and ever. How shall you and I shine like those people in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3? Well, first we need to understand our true condition. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Thus, we conclude that all of us need a Savior. Furthermore, we understand that following from the prophet Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart and try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. All of us, my friends, need a heart surgery. 
There's never been a heart surgeon in the history of heart surgeries that has performed his own heart surgery. And there's never been a Christian in the history of this world that has ever been able to perform their own heart surgery. But this is why God would declare through the prophet Ezekiel, a new heart also will I give you. I just, I love this. God is so willing, so ready to take the burden of responsibility if we would simply yield all to Him. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Whew! Amen. Hallelujah. God is ready and God is willing to save to the uttermost. Is God's law valid and unchanged today? Oh yes it is, my friends. But God says if you would simply surrender all, I'll change your heart. And you will walk in my statutes. You will keep my commandments. Because I will be the one enabling you to do so. What a beautiful promise. You know, what does it look like to surrender all? It's an important question for us to wrestle with tonight. What does it look like to truly surrender? I was just talking this week with someone about how the devil likes to distract us. And distractions... They come in many forms. But I would say that the devil's never had more success at distracting people than he has today. I mean, we don't, we live in the most self absorbed generation that this world has ever seen. Families are no longer families. You can just sit on your phone in the same room and never have a conversation. And people are beginning to realize, like, scientists coming out with numerous studies that these things are very addicting. And I was talking with someone this week who just, he made a simple statement, right? Like, just ponder this for a second. You may not be going to the most disgusting things that you could look up on a phone. You may be doing something that's more socially acceptable. Some YouTube, for example. Right? There's a lot of other bad things that you can access. YouTube, that's pretty socially acceptable. People aren't going to look down on you. We all probably watch some YouTube from time to time. But their point was, it distracts you from what God needs you to be doing. The devil doesn't care how he does it. He's just going to try and do it. He doesn't care how innocent it is if it's robbing you of what God actually wants you to be doing. You know, I have some gentlemen that I keep in contact with because 
I have a passion for helping young men that have struggled with lustful things on the internet. And I'm an accountability partner for a couple of my friends. And I was just checking in with him the other day. Because it's easy to lock down your devices. And it should be done if you struggle with that. You're not going to find victory with the device in your hand. No one is that powerful. I'm just, I'm sorry. And this is what true surrender looks like, right? If there's something in my life that is damaging and destroying my relationship with God, I've got to come to the point where I am so desperate, so sincere, like where I'm like, Lord, I am surrendering all and I am doing everything in my power asking for you to help to cooperate with me to defeat this temptation. If that means I have to throw out the device, I was talking to my friend about this, you got to get rid of it because, man, you would rather have a dumb phone than miss out on the kingdom of heaven. Serious, like, let's put some things into perspective. But that's what surrender looks like. Whatever the temptation that we're struggling with, whatever the addiction may be, because a lot of these things have become addictions. Addictions take on various form. Preston, we've been going through a journey. We've talked about this. Victory isn't going to be had while there's still packs. Right? And it's the same thing for my friend. I had to talk to him, right? Like, you're not going to have victory just with total freedom because you keep stumbling. It's the same pattern. This was what he went through. And I've had to find this in my own life, in my own journey, right? As a Christian, when there's things that I've been struggling with, right? I'm never going to find victory if I just keep holding on to it. If I make a provision for the flesh, and the Bible is saying at the end of time, God wants to actually give us victory. Make no provision for the flesh. When we honor God, God honors us. And Jesus says, I want you to surrender all. Make no provision for the flesh. There's no shame in the fact that you may have a struggle. The only thing that's shameful is when we choose to hold on to it when Christ has provided a way. When we keep fighting in our own strength instead of reaching out to those who can help us that God has put in our path. It's never good to justify the things of this world that tempt our hearts. Because in doing so, we can hurt ourselves. What does it look like as we close to have a vibrant relationship with God and We're covering this in brief. But in the judgment hour, we don't have to fear, right? Because if Manny's in Christ Jesus, if Preston is in Christ Jesus, if Millie's in Christ Jesus, if Misty is in Christ Jesus, if Travis, if Christy, if Jason, if Anna, 
If Don, if I am in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. That's the beauty of the gospel. No matter what chains have shackled us, we serve a God that can set us free. That's the story of the gospel that has to be preached in all the world. You think that prostitutes are really proud of what they do? Because there's been some stuff glorified in society today. There's whole websites for this stuff now that's popular. Where young women now are doing things that God never intended them to do, and they're proud about it. But deep down inside, they're broken. And they just need the gospel. And some of those women are going to be the women of faith that turn from their sins and stand for Jesus, just as Mary Magdalene did. Yeah, it's a shameful thing that society looks down upon, but God took our shame and he offers us forgiveness. How do we have a vibrant relationship with God? There's three main Christian disciplines. It's really this simple prayer, studying of God's word, and sharing your faith. Jeremiah 29, verse 12 through 14. We're familiar with this because we studied it last Wednesday. Then you shall call upon me and you shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you and you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart and I will be found of you, saith the Lord. God's word, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. If the word of God is bland, I found this in my own life. It's because many cases I'm holding on to something or beholding the world. I grew up in a conflicted home that has led to me having certain struggles in my own life. You know, raised as a Christian, but there was a certain point where my parents said, you know what, you can just start watching anything. And I've had to fight the struggle against media. And man, as long as I allow media to have an avenue to the soul, man, the Bible can come be, can be very boring very quickly. But I've found when I cut those things out of my life, the word of God is the truth that sets me free. Sharing your faith, those are the final words of Christ to his disciples as he's ascending to heaven, the great commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Proverbs 11 and verse 30. You know, God wants to use every one of us here tonight to be a light for him. Let your light show sign before men that they may glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Every one of you comes in contact with people. Travis, you know he runs the bike shop. He has people coming through from the community that he gets to minister to. I got to meet your longtime worker for like a couple years now, Jacob. God loves Jacob, guys. We should start praying for Jacob. Because that's a ministry that the Hunts have just to Jacob and Brittany, his family, right? Preston and Missy, you guys work at Sonic. There's some people in that building that need some hope. Just your staff, right? 
Not even talking about the people that come through the drive-thru. Manny. Manny has a ministry of simply helping people, and the community knows it around him, right? Like, all of us have opportunities to be a beacon and a, and, and, and a light for God. You know, my friends, as long as we are holding on to Jesus, the judgment hour isn't something we have to be afraid of. It isn't. I want to be like Daniel, intentional about my time with God. I don't believe Daniel just prayed three times a day, but he intentionally set aside three times a day to talk with God. I'm pretty confident that he was praying more than three times a day. But what does it look like for you to be intentional anew about your time with God? What does it look like for you tonight to be intentional about studying God's Word, to be intentional about sharing your faith when the opportunity comes? Because the opportunities, believe you me, will come, especially if you start asking for them. And as you do, your faith will grow. Doug Batchelor told a story of his conversion journey. There was a man who was a mentor to him. Even Doug Batchelor had a mentor. And this man was just a happy, praying Christian, just like always up early in the Word of God, just was known as a man of God. And he comes up behind Doug Batchel on his bike one day, and he just asks him, how are you doing? And Doug's like, oh, I'm, I'm doing okay. And this friend, who's, you know, in his 60s, he says to him, how are you with the Lord? And Doug's like, yeah, I'm all right. And the friend just stops out of the blue, and he's like, okay, how long can you hold your breath for? And Doug was pretty proud. Maybe you didn't know this about Doug, but he was a free diver, and he could hold his breath for up to four and a half minutes, which is longer than any of us here tonight could. I know I can't. You have to be really training to hold your breath for four and a half minutes underwater. And the friend turns to him and says, that's about how long you should go without praying. And then he asked him another question, you know, Doug, how, how often do you eat every day? Uh, two, three times a day. And the friend turns to him and says, you know, you should spend at least two or three times in God's Word a day. And the last question. Uh, what happens if you don't exercise? Well, you become weak and flabby, right? And his friend turns to him and says, it's the same with your faith. If you don't share it, you become weak in your faith. And he told him, just as your body has very real physical needs, so does your spiritual. We've got to pray. We've got to examine the Word of God. And we've got to share it. And you can always ask God to give you the words to say, to give you that divine appointment and the courage to follow through. 
Because there's opportunities where I know God spoke to me and I kind of chickened out. That God can give us the strength to proclaim the gospel as his people. God is calling all of us here tonight. Like, you're here. It's no mistake. It's no accident. God wants you to be a part of his faithful people at the end of time that proclaims the everlasting gospel to every tribe, tongue, and people. Join me in standing and singing our closing song. Huh? What's your number? 309. Yeah, 309. I wasn't actually thinking that, but you know what's cool is uh, Anna and I had a Holy Spirit moment last Wednesday because God told her the same song that I chose, and God told me the same song that she was thinking. So um, it's amazing when God does that. But we're going to sing 309. Uh, Amen. The appeal tonight. The Bible is very clear that every one of us here tonight can actually have the joy of the consciousness of right doing. Because there's a peace which passes understanding when our life is hid in Christ. But we're just saying, I surrender all. And we can't, in light of the judgment hour, come to God one day, you know, just as we have the parable of the sheep and the goats, right? And say to the Lord, well, you know, I, I surrendered 99%. <laughs> I was pretty much yours, Lord. It's just not going to work. Because God wants all. And he gave all. So he's not asking for anything absurd, right? Like, He actually gave all to save all. But not all are going to make that choice. But if there's something tonight that you know the Lord's laying on your heart, I'm not asking you to have a public confession right now. But if the Lord's laid something on your heart that you know you need to surrender and you want to be able to say, Lord, create me that clean heart I'm all yours. But I want to actually invite you to come forward because I'd like to have a special prayer for you. If the Lord's laid it on your heart, you know that perhaps you haven't been fully surrendered. Maybe you need to re-surrender. It's kind of a daily thing, right? I surrender all. It's not like I surrender once and I never need to surrender again. (laughs) You know? But if you want to say as did David, who royally messed up, if you want to say as did David, create me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me, O God. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. I just invite you to come forward.
brothers and sisters in Christ, I want us to circle together for those who have come forward. Father God, we're here tonight grateful that though we fell short of your glory, you did not abandon us, but you left the glory of heaven above and came down and died for us. Lord, you're simply asking that whatever the one thing may be that's in between us and you, that we would surrender all. And Lord, I pray that we would not go away with sadness as did the rich young ruler, but that we would come away rejoicing because we have finally found freedom in Christ. Lord, I stand here with my brothers and sisters in Christ tonight, asking and pleading as they ask, create in each one of us, Lord, a clean heart, renew a right spirit within us. Thank you, Lord. For helping us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. amen.